We start giving everybody a chance. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> I just wondered, uh, Mr. Brown, how do you get to work? I mean, I guess the public will. The hostage is turned up. 
Turn this on. Good. Thank you. Yep. Oh. Okay. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Nice to see a fairly full group today. Uh, Terry Leong has left a message up here. Terry, where are you at? 
boss's husband, Terry LaFrance, COVID in Tennessee. Do you uh, do you have a prognosis on it? How, how, how is it? You don't have. Uh, calling. Uh, uh, he's very ill. Uh, is it from a from a religious gathering or? No. Okay. Terry LaFrance is his name, so we should commit him to prayer as well, and all those around him. Let's look at a few other announcements, if we can. <coughs> you know, number one, number two with Andrea, the contact number. We have plenty of days of praise and acts of facts on the uh, buffet out there. Uh, the work on the portico will continue this week coming. We should have the good weather for it. New video series to begin tonight at 6 p.m. I don't have the details, and, and I suppose if you will deign to come tonight, we'll all find out together. It, uh, it should be a good one. The video's not on finger foods, brother. <laughs> We're, we have to bring finger foods, and I was just getting to that. So. I know Pam is bringing chili. Is that true? So. Well, it doesn't stop me, so. <laughs> well, then it ought to be entertaining tonight. So if we can uh, bring stuff in that maybe tie in with the chili, uh, that would be wonderful. Okay, our scripture for meditation is taken from the book of Psalm, chapter 69, verses 1 through 15, and that would be in your pew Bible, page 904.
before we uh, begin the service this morning, if I may redirect you to uh, verse 4 of Psalm 69. See if there is a correlation with the events of then and the events of today. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause, those who seek to destroy me. I am forced to restore what I did not steal. You see the correlation? Not a whole lot's changed since uh, the time of Christ till up and now. If you'll stand with us, we'll begin with opening prayer. Dan, would you lead us in opening prayer, please? Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here um, as a congregation to sing praises to you, to be reminded of your grace and your mercy to us, Lord. May your word um, cause us to praise you even more, Lord, for what you've done through your Son, Christ. And may it also convict us, Lord, and uh, draw us up short and uh, drive us to Christ. Please remain standing. Will you take your brown hymnal and turn to one, number 193? 193 in the brown.
got me right before we started, and it's Mr. Donovan. He beat you. <laughs> and what? Um, Dale had a hymn. He asked me right before service, and I can't remember, so you have to say it again. Oh, I got to remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will not remember. In the red hymn, though. 
Our scripture reading for this morning is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 19, verses 12 through 29, and that will be page 26 in your pew Bible. When you get to your verses, please stand with us. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord, Jehovah, against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because Jehovah is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hands in the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city. For Jehovah was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes. And you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life, but I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I will die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to, and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of. But flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zoar. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before Jehovah. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like the smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, He remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Father in heaven, we pray, Father, that you would bless this reading of your holy and inspired scriptures, that it would touch the heart of the lost, but reassured 
the hearts of the saved. In the name of Christ, amen. Will you take your hymnal again and turn to number 89? Number 89 in the brown hymnal.
Our scripture text this morning is Genesis 19. Genesis 19. Last Lord's Day, we considered Sodom's willful sin, the sin of same-sex immorality, and God's determination to destroy the city and all its inhabitants for its failure to repent. Lot was privileged to host two angel warriors, I'm calling them angel warriors, that God had sent to bring about the judgment but also to rescue Lot and his family. But even so, things did not go well that evening because the Sodomites surrounded Lot's house demanding that he surrender his guests to the lustful intentions of the town folk. After offering his two virgin daughters as an alternative, the Sodomites became incensed and lunged after Lot, who had to be rescued by the angels, pulling him back into the house and striking the Sodomites with blindness so that they could not find the door of his house. I don't know what kind of houses these were, but I doubt seriously that it was on a level plane. Probably the house was built up a bit in some kind of stairway or whatever, and in such a way that when the attackers were blinded, they could not find the door to get into the house. We drew out four sobering spiritual lessons. Number one, God did make us sexual creatures, but that's to be expressed between male and female and between husband and wife. Number two, trying to repress one sin by promoting another, shows a grave misunderstanding of God's character. This whole business with Lot offering his daughters, it's reprehensible to me, but he did it. Thirdly, we learn the sin of homosexuality, though reprehensible to God, is forgivable to all who will repent and seek God's favor through Jesus Christ. And lesson number four, Rejecting the gospel of God's forgiveness and grace is a worse sin, a worse sin than sexual sins, including homosexuality. Don't believe me? Look at Matthew 11. Read that. Matthew 11, verses 24 and following, where woes are pronounced on the unbelieving by Jesus. Not for any particular sin other than not believing him when he spoke. Well, today's study brings us back to Genesis 19, to the time of Lot's rescue and Sodom's destruction. So as we come, let's ask for the Lord's enablement. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you don't play games with us. You tell it like it is. You tell us 
about the sin of men's hearts and what you think about it and what you're going to do about it. This ought to be a wake-up call for all of us. Maybe our sin is not some kind of sexual sin. Maybe it's other kinds of sin. But sin is sin. It's a violation of your law. It's a finger in your eye. It's saying to you that, no, we are not going to listen. No, we are not going to obey you. We're going to do our own thing. And we need to hear the reaction that God has towards that. That you do not take rejection of your word lightly. Bless us then as we study your word and give us willing hearts. Don't let us be rebellious like so many people are. Give us a soft heart for the word of God and a loving heart towards God and his son, his son, our Savior, Jesus, in whose name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. We're in Genesis 19, and we're looking at God's rescue of Lot and Sodom's destruction. Firstly, then, God's mercy to Lot and his family. Let's not forget that this was mercy. This was mercy on God's part. By the providential watch care of God, Lot, his wife, the angelic visitors, made it through the night. Despite the lustful attempt of the Sodomites to storm Lot's house. The angels struck the sexual predators with blindness. Verse 11 says, so they could not find the door. The next morning, verse 15, says with the coming of dawn, Lot was urged to vacate Sodom. Hurry. So things were now at the point wherein there was no hope for Lot's extended family. Lot was given the charge in verse 12. Do you have anyone else here? Sons-in-law? Sons? Daughters? Anyone in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here. Because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry of the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. Now that's about as clear a declaration that you could ever hear of what God's going to do and therefore what you should be doing. <laughs> well, to Lot's credit, he complied immediately to this charge by the angels. Verse 14, so Lot went out and he spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. And he said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy this city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. Let me read that again. His sons-in-law thought he was joking. Obviously, if someone thinks that that for which you warn them is a joke, 
They're not going to take you seriously. And when you're not taken seriously, your warning goes unheeded. This is precisely the case with Lot. His testimony in spiritual matters had been so compromised by his willingness to reside in Sodom and even to take on the position of a city magistrate. Verse 1 says that Lot sat in Sodom's gateway to the city. That's the place of judicial rulings. See also verse 9. Wow. For all this and more, Lot's sons-in-law could not take him seriously when he warned of God's impending destruction of the city. They just didn't believe him. They thought he was joking. Years ago when I was working for the bus company as a public affairs administrator, I joined more than seven community and state organizations to address public transit issues for local communities. Primarily, I advocated for better access and less expense for seniors needing transportation. I was constantly confronted with moral issues involving everything from greed to special interest groups pushing their own agenda many of which were a violation of my conscience and to the biblical charges of Scripture. But I hung in there, hung in there rationalizing. Well, I, I can't win all the battles, but for the sake of the greater good, maybe, maybe I can be of help for some of the battles. Well, my wake-up call came one day when serving on the state advisory council, having been appointed by the governor, we got into a discussion of accessibility of transportation for seniors, and a member of the state council, kind of in-your-face proud lesbian, stood up publicly to criticize the advisory council's recommendation because, in her words, quote, there was no specific provision in your proposal for homosexual seniors to access public transportation, end quote. In other words, she wanted a special dispensation of access for homosexuals to transportation written into the proposal, lest they be discriminated against. For which I would say, there was not a shred of evidence. I mean, think about this. How many homosexual sinners, seniors rather, ride the bus in contrast to the general public? And when they ride the bus, do they announce to the driver and the passengers as they drop their fare into the fare box, oh, by the way, I'm gay. It was absurd. It was absurd. But I watched and I listened as member after member of the advisory council caved in by agreeing to go back 
to the drawing board and rewrite our recommendation to the governor's council to include this special dispensation clause in the proposal. And I realized then how little influence I had had in a public forum of 40 appointees by the governor. 40 to 1. I had no impact through my four years of service on which I had spoken numerous times on Christian principles in our council deliberations. But when it came to the critical issues and going on public record in our recommendations, the council caved to the gay movement. Well, I knew then that I must resign, which is what I did. Lot went to his sons-in-law to warn them of God's impending judgment on Sodom, but his warning fell on deaf ears. Why? Because he had no influence on their decisions. Could they not even <laughs> consider that Lot was going to heed his own warnings? He was going to flee the city with his two daughters, which they claimed to love, the sons-in-laws, and to whom they were pledged to marry. Well, this guy's taking the warning seriously. He's going to flee. Wouldn't that be a clue that the city was in grave danger? But no, <laughs> no. These, were, these men were not about to uproot their own lives because of some absurd story by their son-in-law, father-in-law-to-be that Lot was saying. So Lot had no choice but to leave his pledged son-in-laws to their preferred falling. The assumed joke would soon be upon them. But by then there would be no salvation for them. What was Lot to do? Well, the only thing left to do. Lot, his wife, his two daughters left Sodom. Hesitantly, yes, but they left. The two angels said, verse 15, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. In other words, Lot could not pine the loss of his daughter's suitors. If that is what he was thinking, we don't know what he was thinking. He had warned them. He had tried to persuade them out of the danger that they were in, but they laughed at him. It was their way of saying to Lot, you must be kidding. <laughs> Leave all of our friends, all of our possessions on your word of an impending judgment? We're not buying it. And we plan to stay right here where we are. But the angels reminded Lot, hey, you have a wife 
you have two daughters who are here with you. Take them and go. Hurry. Go now without delay or you will be swept away when the city is punished. Translation, it's true. (laughs) You can't save your sons-in-law, but you can save yourself, your wife, your daughters. But you have to move now and you have to move quickly. Lot was warned that delay was not an option. Why not? Verse 15. You will be swept away when the city is punished. That's why not. And in verse 17, the angels use the word flee two times. Flee for your lives. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. So there's nothing here but a sense... Excuse me. A sense of urgency in the angels' warnings. They're not giving happenstance and they're not really offering to dialogue this with him. They're saying, you need to get out of here and you need to get out of here now. When God has made up his mind to send judgments, it's no time to dilly-dally the time away hoping against hope that you will somehow be spared because you're God's child. His child you may be, very well be, but a disobedient child will reap the same consequences in these situations as the people on whom the mark of judgment has been placed. So will you stick with your worldly friends even when you own your own life and your immediate family are in jeopardy. We need to think about that. Well, with even with all of this warning and urging by the destroying angels, look at verse 19. When he, the he is a lot here, when Lot hesitated. Let me read that again. When Lot hesitated. The men, the angels, grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his daughters, and they led them safely outside of the city. Can you believe this? I believe it. Brethren, the world, the world, and our attachment to it can become so strong that godly decisions and urgency to obey God's warnings fall by the wayside. Even when finally physically outside of Sodom and on the road to deliverance, look what happened. Lot argued with God's escape plan. He was told, don't look back, that's verse 17, and don't stop anywhere in the plain, flee to the mountains, also verse 17. But Lot protested. No, my lords, please. Please what? Please don't make me flee to the mountains. Let me settle in the little town of Zor. It's little. It's insignificant. You see any logic in that? (laughs) 
But that's what he's trying to do. Going to be burned up along with everything else, but it's, it's a little. Let me ask, is a little, a little same-sex sexuality something we should tolerate? It's just a little. Well, God acquiesced to Lot's requests concerning Zor, but reading ahead, verse 36 tells us it didn't last long. Why? Let me read it. Lot and his two daughters left Zor. What? Left Zor and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zor. I love this. What was God's plan? Verse 17. Don't stop anywhere in the plains. Flee to the mountains. So Lot finally got there, but not before trying out his own idea and seeing how futile it was. We have a fresh statement. God always knows best. But do we really believe that? Or do we argue with him? Not that city, this. Not that way, this way. Sadly, it's the latter. The second thing that happened in all this is stated in verse 26. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Now she with Lot was told, verse 17, flee for your lives. Don't look back. Let me tell you, there's been a lot of speculation as to why she did look back. Was she concerned for her daughters and the fact that their intended husbands were being left behind? Was she fearful of losing her homestead and all of her belongings? Did she have friends that she just could not let go? I'll tell you the truth, we just don't know why she looked back. But what we do know is that she chose to defy a direct order by God's warrior angels not to look back. Was the incineration of her friends and potential sons-in-law so curious that she just had to take a peek? It cost her her life. And Jesus' analysis, I think, is the most helpful in understanding the actions of Lot's wife. So we have to go to the New Testament to get the interpretation. And our Lord states, In the days of Lot, people were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planning and building. But the day, the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one is who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. No. 
Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife, says Jesus. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. Luke 17, verse 28 and following. So Jesus seems to indicate that Lot's wife was longing for the things she had abandoned in Sodom because of their hasty departure. Things she valued. Things she could not bear to leave behind. I mean, all she and Lot had were the clothes on their backs. She longed for more. It was not enough to escape with her life. She must, she must try to save what she could. Well, she lost her life that day. And Jesus' words seem to indicate perhaps loss of eternal life because her affections were on earthly, material things. Listen to the Apostle John. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 1 John 2 verse 15. Where our love is, where our heart is, tells a lot about our spiritual condition. She loved things. She wasn't about to have those things taken from her. That brings us then to the annihilation of Sodom. We read in verses 23 and following, by the time Lot rescued, excuse me, by the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur, on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities, and also the vegetation in the land. Genesis 19, verse 23 through 25. Excavation south of the Dead Sea in the community noted in Genesis 13 as the cities of the plains, where, and we are told, Abraham lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plains. And he pitched his tent near Sodom, Genesis 13, verse 12. In this excavation, these were the cities that formed the Federation of Sodom and three other cities, including Bela, which is the more modern name for Zor, four cities against five, Lot was captured, you remember, in that battle. Abraham had to go in and rescue him, Genesis 14. The battle took place in the valley of Siddim, which was full of tar pits, according to Genesis 14, verse 10. Proved to be a snare for the fleeing federation of Sodom and those allied with it. This valley at the southern end of the Dead Sea is where Sodom and the cities of the plain were located. Whoa. Tar pits? 
Excavation in the late 70s by geologists and anthropologists unearthed what is believed to have been Sodom and Gomorrah. Modern names Numeria and Babadarond. The scientists state, and I quote, Occupied for less than a century, the remains were better preserved at Numara than at Bab el Darah. Textiles, string, rope, seeds, even a cluster of grapes survived amazingly well. Every room, every room was filled with ashed and burned debris from the dreadful holocaust that overtook that city. Well, that agrees with 24, verse 24 of our text. What does that say? Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities, and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood the, before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, towards all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Genesis 19, verse 24 through 29. Not many righteous there. But for the sake of Abraham, God brought Lot out. Lot being his nephew. Now there are some sobering lessons from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Number one, our testimony to our unsaved relatives and friends is only credible, listen, it's only credible if our lives support the testimony. Think about this. I have no doubt that when Lot went to warn his future sons-in-law about Sodom's destruction, that he was sincerely concerned about their welfare. I have no doubt about that. His intent was noble, his resolve was committed, he desired that they, along with his wife and two daughters, would escape God's judgment and go on with life. I, re I really believe that. And likely Lot talked to these men on other occasions about spiritual things, but the subject of impending judgment seemed too, I don't know, too far-fetched for his sons-in-laws to accept. I mean, after all, Lot had lived there in Sodom for many years. He had risen to the place of judge in the city. His original move to the Jordan Valley was because his livestock was so vast in number that they could not support his livestock and Abraham's livestock, you remember. But that's how he maintained his wealth. So the two split, and Lot chose the Jordan Valley. 
Were they now to believe that Lot was planning to actually vacate the city because of an assumed warning of judgment from God? I mean, how likely was that? Come on, Dad. That's the best joke we've heard in a long time. You've been living here for years. Lot's warning sounded comical to them because had Lot really believed that the sin of Sodom was so wicked as to call for the punishment, verse 15, of God, wouldn't Lot have packed his bags and moved out long ago? Why the rush now? How does your warnings resonate with your relatives and friends? Assuming you do warn them. Paul in Romans 13 says the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently. As in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension, not in jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's Romans 13, 12 through 14. So when our witness does not match our behavior, we are branded by the world as hypocrites, and I think rightly so. This was the underlying reason why Lot's sons-in-law laughed at his warning to flee Sodom. I mean, he lacked credibility. Let me tell you that God's judgment reads like a joke to unbelievers who sin continually, seemingly with no repercussions. Second lesson to learn here. And I think the devil fosters this lie as explained by Solomon. Here's what Solomon says. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11. You remember Pharaoh? He was warned by Moses to let his people go, or a plague of frogs would infest the land. And Pharaoh ignored the warning. And sure enough, <coughs> Egypt was inundated with frogs. They were everywhere. In the food, in the beds, in the fields, everywhere. So he pleaded with Moses to remove the plague. And Moses complied based on the promise that Pharaoh would release the Israelites from bondage. But we read, when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Exodus 8, verse 15. It's all a ploy. 
Isaiah put it this way. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. Though grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. Boy, there's a statement. Let me read it again. Though grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. You'd think they would, huh? Even in a land of uprightness, they go on doing evil. And regard not the majesty of the Lord. O Lord, your hand is lifted high, but they don't see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be put to shame. Let the fire reserved for your enemies consume them. Isaiah 26, verse 9 through 11. What they don't see, they don't fear. That's our wicked world. They're not having daily dealings with God. They're not reading the scriptures. They don't know his history. So as clearly as I can state it, continual sin without punishment may look and feel like you have pulled off a fast one on God. But it is you that have been deceived. Again, Isaiah says, You were wearied by all your ways, but you would not say, It is hopeless. You found renewal of your strength, and so you did not faint. Whom have you so dreaded and feared that you have been false to me? And have neither remembered me nor pondered this in your hearts. Is it not because I have long been silent that you do not fear me? God's talking here. I will expose your righteousness and your works and they will not benefit you. When you cry out for help, let your collection of idols save you. The wind will carry all of them off. A mere breath will blow them away. But the man who makes me his refuge will inherit the land and possess my holy mountain. Isaiah 57, verse 10 and following. It is but a false sense of security to think that because God does not Lower the boom on you immediately for your sin that you have escaped the notice and the punishment of God. No, God sees it all. And your works of righteousness will be exposed for the shaft they are when the wind of God's discernment exposes their true nature. God's delayed judgment must not be misconstrued to mean no judgment. Okay, well, then why the delay? The scripture says he's long-suffering, not wanting any of you to perish, but to repent and be saved. 
You see, judgment ends it all for you if you're not a believer. That's it. Well, let me tell you, the smile of mockery quickly faded from the faces of Lot's sons-in-law when the fireballs began raining down on Sodom from heaven. But it was too little, too late. Their indifference, their unbelief, had sealed their fate. You see, when judgment comes, there is no recourse in delay, but only in hasty compliance with God's directives. Look in our text. Take note of all the references to haste. Verse 12, the two angels asked Lot if he had any people in the city. And without giving Lot an opportunity to reply, the angels went on to say, Get them out of here, because we're going to destroy this place. Got anybody here? Get them out. Lot, in eager compliance, went out to the neighborhood to talk to his pledged sons-in-laws. And what did he Tell them, verse 14, hurry, get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy this city. That's a warning they ignore. Verse 15, with the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters. Verse 16, when he hesitated, the men grabbed his hands, hands of his wife and his two daughters, and led them out of the city. So that's a forced exit. Verse 17. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Flee to the mountains. And when Lot balked at the distance, he would have to travel and argued for Zor to be the destination. The angels agreed, yet they noted, verse 22, but flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. Now I add all of these up. Get out of here. Hurry and get out. Hurry, take your wife and daughter. The men grasped, Lot, his wife, his daughters by the hand, and led them out. Flee for your lives. Flee to the mountains. Flee there, referring to Zor. Quickly. All total, there are eight references to haste. Well, why the, ru <laughs> why the rush? Because God was about to act. And the action was going to be lethal. And this tells me that God's people are not immune. We are not immune from the judgment God brings on unrepentant sinners if they ignore God's warnings and drag their feet. The angels explained what would happen if Lot did delay. They said to him, you will be swept away when the city is punished, verse 15. 
Or again, verse 17, flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. In the military, when civilians are killed unintentionally because they got caught in a firefight with combatants, the term used for these unintentional deaths is collateral damage, which means they were not the target, but they died anyway because they got in the way. And we think, Well, God wouldn't do that. (laughs) We are his people. Disciples, believers. Okay, then if we are believers, why are you not heeding God's warnings? May I say the only reason Lot and his immediate family made it safely out of Sodom was because of what we read in verse 16. The Lord was merciful to them. Wow. But you know, you and I have no claims on mercy when we disobey. Now God may be merciful, as he was with Lot, or he may not. As was the case of the two sons-in-law. The basic premise of the angels was correct. Flee for your lives or be swept away when the city is punished. Verse 15, verse 17. You know, we say things like, well, I'm just trusting God to see me through. Jesus calls it something else. The devil led Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and told him, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up up in their hands. In other words, you have nothing to fear. God's going to take care of you. You won't get hurt, because God has promised to catch you. How did Jesus respond? He said, it is also written, do not put the Lord to the test. Matthew 4, verse 7. The devil's saying, well, why don't you have a little faith? <laughs> there is a vast difference between faith and presumption. Because Between getting caught in a dangerous situation and deliberately placing yourself in such a situation, thinking, well, God will just have to rescue me. To do the latter is to test God. You are presuming on God's goodness when you should have believed and obeyed his warnings, get out, get going, head for the hills. It is not wise, nor is it faith, to play such games with God. Do what he tells you. Comply with his directives and live. And then finally, learn that today is all you and I have 
to repent and flee from God's wrath to come today. Hebrews 3 verse 13, encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. As has just been said, I'll say it again, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the day of the rebellion. The time to repent expires when God's clock starts clicking down the seconds to judgment. Sodom and all who resided in the city were doomed the moment the outcry of their unrepentant sin reached the ears of God. Repentance is God's gift and there are no repentant people in hell. Not one. No second chances to rethink your position before God. No effectual purgatory prayers. No back channel redemption. Today, not tomorrow, is your day to hear the call of God and to heed it. Today, not next week, not next month, not next year. Today is your day of salvation. That's the way the scripture comes to us. God's call to you now is his mercy. As much as the angels leading Lot to safety by the hand were saying, comply, surrender. We need to tell people, flee to Jesus while the moment of salvation is open to you. Your window of opportunity may be closing as it did on Lot's sons-in-law. They thought he was joking. They did not comply. They did not listen. And they reaped what they sowed. There is an urgency. That's what the idea of the word today is all about. What about tomorrow? What about next week? Oh, I'll think about this a little bit. You may not make it to tomorrow or next week or even next year. Today is all you have and you don't even have that. It could, the day could end with you in catastrophe. Let us believe the word of God and not our own false notions of what we think we'd like God to do for us. What he'll do for us is what will glorify his name and save his people if they will obey. Father, we thank you for your word and pray that it will sit all into our hearts. Boy, Lot struggled. You worked in his life. You brought him out against what he wanted to do. Didn't work out too well for his sons-in-law. Didn't work out well for his wife. That's a bad legacy. I pray, Lord, that you will help us not to follow his hesitant, sinful example. There is a sense of urgency, of hurrying, 
We have today. We have the moment. We don't have anything else. I pray that we'll see that. Bless the truth of your word, and we thank you for it. These lessons historically, with how you dealt with your people in older generations, past generations, tell us how you deal with us today. Because the scripture says of God, you do not change. You're the same today, yesterday, and forever. That's what makes the word of God in the Bible relevant for today. The fact that the God of the Bible does not change. doesn't have to change. He said it once. He said it true the first time. It's always the truth. It never is going to be altered something different. And we can thank you for that. And we can trust you in that. Help us to see it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our closing hymn. This is an old bulletin. <laughs> Someone have closed the, the closing hymn? 241. 241 in the hymnal. <clears throat> okay. When you find 241, will you please stand with me?
you read the book of Second Peter, you'll see that even in Peter's day, they were mocking, saying, where is the coming, where is the presence of his coming that you keep talking about? And they were mocking Peter because back then, Peter was preaching the coming of Christ. Well, now think of the centuries that have passed since Peter. Oh, and the mockers are still with us. And they're saying, yeah, I've been looking at my watch. I've been counting the days on the calendar. Where's this coming? But the same Peter is the one that tells, hey, guys, remember that a day with the Lord, I mean, a thousand years with the Lord is like a day. So let me see. One millennium, two millennium, how many millenniums? A few days have passed. A few days have passed. Say, so, well, why would God delay, delay, delay? Peter says he's long-suffering towards you, desiring that none perish, giving you a day to repent and to come to Christ in saving faith. The world does not know how blessed it is that God delays his coming. Amen. He's holding out grace and mercy to these people who are thumbing their nose at him and mocking him and blaspheming him and using his name as a curse word and who live their lives as though they were, and they are, children of the devil. But they think they're going to get away with it. That's the way they live their lives. And they think you're a nutcase, and I'm a nutcase, because we believe that Christ is coming. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. You guys always talk about Christ coming. Don't you know centuries have passed and he hasn't come yet? Yeah, well, Peter took up that notion. So don't you realize that with God, a thousand years is like a day. He hasn't forgotten anything. He's just extending his grace to you, mockers, giving you opportunity to repent. We live in a cruel and wicked world, don't we? I mean, look what's going on in politics. God is extending mercy and grace, not only to our country, but to the world. And someday, his patience is going to wear out. And judgment will fall. I don't want to be here when that happens. I want to be close with the Lord. I want to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. But I know that his day of judgment is still coming. Lord, we thank you for the truth that in Christ Jesus, you took the judgment for us. You took the pain and suffering. That's what the cross is all about. So you judged our sins us believers, you judged our sins in Christ. So we have nothing to fear concerning your coming judgment if we truly know Christ. We have settled that matter. You settled it for us. You drew us out of the world. You granted us faith. You granted us repentance. You drew us into your family and you made us your children. So come. Come Lord Jesus. That's what the Christians used to sing in the days of old. Come. That was their message. 
We're ready. Come, come get us. They were not so much in love with the world that they were reluctant to leave it. No, they wanted to leave and be with you. And Paul said it good, to be absent from the body, that's far better to be with the Lord. I pray that you'll help us to live with that kind of knowledge in our hearts, that kind of love for you in our hearts. When we are most sober, we understand this world is just passing away. We're getting older. We're getting sicker. We're getting grayer. We see all of this happening in the world and we know it can't last forever. We believe the scriptures. So even so, come Lord Jesus, we're ready. I pray that we are. And if we're not, grant us the faith and repentance necessary to reach out to Jesus. In his name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.